Greetings, greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being on the airways with us today. I'm Emmanuel West, Jr., one of the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Uh, you have, you're going to have a treat listening to this program. Uh, Yahweh has taught me much, much, many things on any topic, anywhere in the Bible, and I enjoy bringing the word to you. Uh, today I'm going to teach you a little about prophecy, and as we do, I'm going to do a little introductory study about prophecy. The Bible says in Isaiah 8, 20, to the law and to the prophets, if you don't teach that, then you need to go back home and go back to studying. In other words, every preacher is supposed to know how to teach the Torah. That's the law and the prophets. That, those are the mystical things about the word. And uh, yeah, any preacher teach you about the law like most preachers teach the last six commandments, and they are what you call man-to-God relationships. But then, I'm sorry, that's man-to-man relationships, but when you teach the first four commandments, those commandments deal with your relationship to Yahweh. First four commandments, that's the sacred name, putting Yahweh first, no images and idols, and remembering the Sabbath. Those uh, those are the things that angels, fallen angels, fight about. You fight about it. I, I ain't going to no church on no Saturday and this and that. And you don't, you don't understand the reverence, the sanctity of Yahweh, who he is, why he is. And so we're going to teach you the art of learning how to do the law and the prophets. In Isaiah, the 8th chapter, that's starting at 16th verse, you'll see where these people were so desperate to learn truth that they actually started having seances, and they thought they would contact the dead and let the living know what to do in life. And and so Isaiah kind of prophetically intervened, and he says, I don't care who you go to find truth from. They have to teach the law and the prophets. So most preachers don't teach prophecy. They don't understand prophecy. It's beyond them. It's deeper from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Malachi, all of the Old Testament is literal, but it's also prophetic. So everything in the Old Testament is talking about an, an ancient uh, mystery or, or happening or whatever, but it's talking about some kind of prophecy. And um, Yahweh has blessed my heart, many years of patient study that I can teach you prophecy almost any passage in the Bible. And once you learn, and one of the keys to understanding prophecy is the number four. You have a table, a three-legged table, that table is going to fall fall over. But when it has four legs, then it can you can serve the truth of Yahweh from that table. You understand the deep things of heaven. Now take like Damascus, get off the subject a little bit. What you call a gematria? Gematria just means everything has a number. Like my name has a number, your name has a number, and the ancient number for Damascus is four forty four. And one of the reasons that it means change, it means something new, a new order is going to start four forty four, and that's the city where Apostle Paul uh, first established his mission to the masses in the city of Damascus. And we'll get into that one day, but uh, I just want you to understand that you need to know 
about prophecy, the prophetic things of the Bible. And, you know, we're reading about uh, in the book of Micah, it talks about Bethlehem, this great city where the Messiah would come from. Well, that that's prophecy. But then there are other passages that you wouldn't have a clue that that's prophetic. But it is. The Torah, the law, those things about the law is prophetic. It's not just uh, talking about an animal sacrifice. What did the animals mean? What? Why did it use an animal? Why didn't it just say plainly, this is a prophecy about dust or dust? And uh, you wouldn't understand it better if it did, but the Bible says Yahweh delights in hiding himself. But those men who truly love him, who spend many hours in prayer and fasting, they unveil secrets to you. There's a book, a apocryphal book called the uh, Ecclesiasticus. It's not Ecclesiastes that you read, Ecclesiasticus. And there's a section in there about wisdom, chokma. And if you, if you want to know wisdom, it says, At first she leads you on winding ways, bringing fear and faintness upon you. And when she gives you different ordeals to go through. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. And it says, and when they see that you can be trusted, then they unveil their secrets to you. And that's the way it is. I remember in, in 1970, I understood the mystery that ancient nations are modern-day denominations. And the first nation that I understood was when I was studying about the ancient Philistines. I said, it's mighty strange. These people worship just like a Pentecostal church. And so I kind of dismissed it. And uh, so then little by little, I began to see all those ancient nations are just like modern-day denominations. And so it took me many years to uh, decipher that. And nobody can fully decipher that, but I have a great understanding of ancient nations that are modern-day denominations. So when you when a preacher go out to do battle for Yahweh, then he, he will say, well, I'm going to do battle against the Philistines. He, what he means prophetically, he's going to do battle against the Pentecostal church. They are the modern-day Philistines. And that's, I'm just giving you little tips there. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you really want to know the deep things in the word of Yahweh, you have to get away from that milk. Now, Isaiah 28, verse uh, 7 through 13 Isaiah 28, verse 7 through 13. I'm just going to read that a passage, and uh, I'm sure you enjoy hearing it. Isaiah 28, uh, starting in verse uh, 7. Let's see here. And I'm reading here in verse 7, Isaiah 28, 7. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink uh, out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through Strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine, and they are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision, and they stumble in judgment. Their tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, and here a little and there a little. For with a stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And then later on, Yahweh began to speak plainly to them. So the stammering tongue was like the early 
uh, movement, the tongue movement in Peter's day. It was learning ancient languages, not necessarily some uh, mystical tongue. Uh, there is a tongue in the Bible that's certified of the Bible, but you have to really know what you're talking about. You understand? So, ladies and gentlemen, I, I delight in teaching people the deep things in the Word, not the milk. You can waste your time to my John 3.16 and this and that. I, you, you should know that just by being around the church forever. But I'm telling you, there are deep things in the Bible. Once you uncover those things, it is a beautiful story. Another mystery that Yahweh gave me as a young man in my studies, uh, I began to notice that whenever Peter did a certain thing in the early church, uh, Martin Luther did a certain thing in the Middle Ages. Whenever Paul did a certain thing, uh, John Calvin did a certain thing also. And so I could understand that if you want to know the real deep things in the early church, because we, all we have is the book of Acts, basically. If you studied, you know, I probably read at least 100 books on the Middle Ages church about the Protestant Reformation and, and John Calvin trying to understand what did Peter and Paul do in, in their respective ministries to the early church. It was an intriguing study. I, I, I started to write a book on it, but it, it would have been a six, 700-page book, and I'd just say it would be overwhelming to the average uh, reader. So I didn't write that book, but I trust me, I know a lot about what Peter them did based on these parallels in the Middle Ages. And so, ladies and gentlemen, now we're going to go down and try to understand where does this word Torah come from. You understand? Whenever you decide you want to get away from the milk and, and be weaned from the mother's breast, the mother's breast means basically where you grew up going to church. And you grew up in a certain church, and you felt like, well, this church ain't teaching the whole truth. And so you go start branching out, studying about other religions. That's what you call getting weaned from the mother's milk. You get milk from that church you grew up in, and now you are going to go into deeper studies. So you have to be weaned from that milk. And some people, they leave the church, and they studied these ancient religions, these scary religions, uh, the Hebrew Israelites and uh, this church over here and this teaching over there. And then they get out on the deep water and they, they can't come back. They get so mixed up with reading other teachings that they don't know what's right or wrong anymore. So you have to have a base when you're studying the Bible to always refer to and the base should always be Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. The testimony means the work of the Holy Spirit through the prophets. So you have to know the law and the prophets to be able to rightly divide the Bible. If you can't do that, the, the scripture plainly says, if they don't teach the law and the prophets, go home. You're not ready to preach. And so Brother West can teach you virtually anywhere in the Bible the real meanings of deep parts of Scripture. Once you arrive, you have truly arrived. Now, let's go back to the book of Job. We're going to go into some deep study right there in the book of Job. Now, the word Job in Hebrew means the enemy of the Father. Job was just a plain old guy like you or me. But why in the world did his name mean the enemy of the Father? Well, the real meaning of the book of Job is that 
when Christ come back and we're going to preach to the Gentiles for a thousand years, Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. That's in Revelation 20. And while he is locked up, there will be three angels, probably three of his closest friends. They're going to be constantly going to him saying, look, Satan, if you just go to Yahweh and repent of what you've done, I believe he'll forgive you. And this is talking about the book of Job. You'll see all through the book of Job, he kept saying, I ain't done nothing wrong. So so the devil can't repent because he don't feel like he's done nothing wrong. You'll meet people like that in life. No matter what you tell them, they never, re, they never apologize. They never repent because they feel they haven't done anything wrong. And that's what the book of Job is all about. And so when you read the book of Job, it's talking about a regular guy, but it's really talking about Satan at some point after he had been tempted and friends talked about him. When the devil couldn't get him to renounce his relationship to Yahweh, then what the devil did then was that he he went and uh, he possessed Job. Now, I have met people, talk with them, eat with them, friends with them, and I know they demon-possessed. They don't know that the devil come in their lives and take over. They speech change. There are certain things that people who know about deliverance ministries, and you can see this person goes through a character change. And that's when that demon comes into their lives, and the demon will will literally speak through that person. They may think they're talking, but it's really the demon talking to them. Now, don't think because a demon comes through you in such a capacity like like it did to Job, don't mean that you are lost. It just means that for prophecy's sake, the courts of heaven agreed to allow the devil to come in your life on that level. You see, we all have to do battle against fallen angels, and a lot of time they win. They don't win permanently, but they do win in a lot of instances. You see, whenever you sin, let's say if you took an ink pen from work, something that small, the demons, they are running to heaven. Every day they have court up there, and they say, Brother Jones, he stole ink pen at work. Lord, you say if we if we break your law, we, we got to die. So they want to kill Brother Jones over something as simple as stealing an ink pen. And then the mercy of Yahweh, uh, Yeshua, he argues for us, and then they say, well, we're not going to punish him on that level but he does have to be punished. And so the demons come back then, they say, well, I can't kill him, so now I'm going to have some fun with him. And so the demon will come in your life and make you do something stupid, and people be laughing at you, and you're not aware that you are just a victim of demon possession, a demon annoyance. The ancient nations, when you read about the ancient nations in the Bible, uh, Egypt, it oppressed Israel. And then... uh, then uh, you had other nations like the Philistines, they uh, they dominated Israel. The Syrians, they did such and such to Israel. And that's just talking about demon possessions, the four levels of possession that these uh, demons bring upon the average individual. We all have that. You, you know, people get upset about dust of dust, and it makes no sense. And so you don't, you'll be wondering why they all been out of shape. That's because we have demon influence, and they come in to they bug everybody. So you have to really be a man of prayer, man, know how to calm down quickly if you do get off track. And uh, 
that's how you stay in the presence of Yahweh. You see, a demon, even though they can go up there and make charges against us, they really can't dwell in the presence of Yahweh. And so learn that sacred name. Uh, it's important to use the name Yahweh, not God, not Lord, not Adonai. Not, none of those terms mean anything to a demon. But when you use the sacred name Yahweh or Yeshua, they have fear of that name. It's the sacred name. It is the name of names. And whenever you say Yah, uh, you know, in, in Hebrew you say Eye Asha Eye. You say Eye twice. Eye, then you say Asha Eye. That's I am that I am. Now, because Yahweh brought out of himself the Holy Spirit, they are as one. They are like a husband and wife team, like Adam and Eve. And so when you say Eye the first time, you're talking about the Father and the Shekinah glory. They are always together. They are in a perfect union. That's what marriage is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be so united in the will of the Heavenly Father that we are like one. But I don't know anybody like that. They think they are. Very few people understand the unity of the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory, one of the greatest examples of her is in the 33rd and 34th chapter of Exodus. And she... When, when Moses wanted to see his glory, he wanted to see the glory of Yahweh. Not Yahweh, but his glory. That meant his wife or his spiritual essence, his feminine essence. And when they hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then she went by. Beautiful story to read. Exodus 34, she went by and she proclaimed the holiness, the goodness, the mercy, the justice the, the great grand theme of who he is, of Yahweh. She didn't say nothing about herself. And so you're taking Jewish wedding, the, the husband, the groom, he's, he's dressed up like a king. He looks wonderful and grand. And the, the, the bride, she looks okay too. But the man always looks more glorious because the woman's supposed to surround the man. The Holy Spirit, she she exalts Yahweh, not herself. Today is just the opposite. It's just the opposite. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand these things if you really want to get into prophecy. And so, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to Job 38, and you'll see that when uh, all through the book of Job, starting the third chapter, this is when Satan uh, possessed Job and all those speeches you read about Job. Is coming from the devil himself. Even though Job was there, he was a willing victim. He didn't know he was being possessed. But there's one thing I want to read to you about what what the real Job had to say. It's in the 19th chapter of Job, and we're going to turn there, and it says right here, because his friends that were tormenting him were like three fallen angels in, in the pit up there in heaven or wherever it will be. And they are telling Job, Satan, constantly, go to, you go to Yahweh and repent, and he will forgive you. And Job kept saying, I ain't done nothing wrong. And then in this 19th chapter of the book of Job, it says, I'm reading here, verse 22. He says, why do ye persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were not written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. 
that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. And so Job, who's Satan now, he's possessed. Satan is saying, I wish somebody would write my words in the Bible, in the book. And he would have to be an iron pen writer. Now remember, you go back to the book of Daniel, and you will see that there are four nations mentioned. The gold, golden head was Babylon, the chest of silver and all, and arms, that was Peter's day. Uh, the Babylonian it was Christ. Babylon just means the gate of God. Babylon was an, was an acronym for the church. It just meant the church is all mixed up. So the, the golden head was Christ. It was Babylon. The Persian Empire was the silver. That was Peter. Then the, the copper or brass empire was Barnabas. And then the, the iron empire was Rome. You understand? And that was, that was Paul. So the devil is saying, whoever going to write my words in the Bible, he going to be in the fourth kingdom, the iron kingdom. And he going to be a writer. And he would come along in this time when the Roman Empire would take over the, the, the literal part of the earth. And that was in the days of the early church. Yes, indeed. I hope I'm not losing you because we have to move on. I have a lot to teach you. Uh, a lot of time I pray and I ask you, Lord, what do I teach them next? Because so much you need to learn. When when I'm anointed, I was hoping it would be this summer. It still may be this summer. But when I'm anointed, then I'll be able to preach on the wall of your house, on a truck going down the street. I'll be able to preach anyway as the two witnesses. They will supersede normal transmissions. We won't need cell phones to preach on or this or that. We're going to do it strictly by the help of heaven. And it's going to be healing. The people are going to be healed all over America if you're one of God's children. But if you're not, you're going to have a tough time. But when I get that anointing, then I'll be able to preach to you for as long as I wish, two, three, four hours each session. But now we on you know on a clock now. I have to honor the request of the the company here, but we have to always try to do our transmissions around thirty minutes. And so, ladies and gentlemen, in Job thirty eight, when Yahweh pre- presented in pro- in uh, Proverbs the eighth chapter is the origin of the Shekinah glory. Read that chapter. Start about verse twenty two and read to the end. It's talking about the origin before the mountains and anything was here. The Shekinah glory was here with Yahweh. And then after that, they he made this vast universe. And then I think he gave the universe to the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit, as a gift, a wedding gift. And then he made all these angels to be her helpers. And so these angels, virtually all of the male angels, Name in in E-L. And that's what Elohim means. It means they are in the angelic family. You understand? And uh, angel, A-N-G, means messenger. Angel, or angel, it means messengers of E-L, messengers of God. That's what angel means. You and I are messengers of God. We are messengers of Elohim. All the angels are Elohim. You understand? All of them are the good angels and the bad ones. They they just mean they're in the spirit family. You and I are flesh and blood, 
but the spirit family, the spirit family are angels, and they are called uh, El. In Genesis one one is the creation story of the Elohim. They use the term Elohim in their writings. Genesis chapter two is the creation story of the Yahwistic angels. They use the sacred name in their writings. So it's important to understand that, ladies and gentlemen. And so when when they when Yahweh created all these billions of angels and they were scared to death, there was Yahweh standing holding the whole universe in his hand. He didn't need me or you, he didn't need the angels, but he chose to make this family as he did. And so these angels were scared when 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 Aaron and Moses uh, wanted to go up on the mountain to talk with Yahweh. They were scared to death. But the nation of Israel said, let Moses go up there. We ain't going up there. And so he went up in, in the presence of Yahweh. But ladies and gentlemen, that same thing happened in Job 38. The angels were singing for joy. They were scared to go up there in Yahweh's presence. But two angels went up there, and that was Micah, whose name means he who is like God or like Yahweh, and also there was Samuel. That was the ancient name of the devil, Samuel. And so those two angels went into the presence of Yahweh, and they made this law code that we call the Torah. You call it the law of Moses. But it's really the law of angels, angelic law code. We ain't part of no uh, fleshly empire. We go into a spiritual empire, angelic empire. And those rulings that we read in, in the book of the five books of Moses came from angels, not from human beings, and so that's why when they made the uh, when they made the uh, the uh, Jewish uh, sacrificial system, one of the first things they made was the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, on that lid, there are two angels, and one of those angels represents Christ, and the other one represents Satan. And Yahweh did not feel the least bit threatened to have the devil that close to his presence. But that's what it's all about. Now, we're going to get to the story about Donald Trump, but I'm just giving you a background study now so that you will always understand the Bible a little better. Remember, the devil asked his three friends that he wished that his words could be written in the book. What book? In the Bible, your Bible has the words of Satan as well as the words of Yahweh. And I'm going to help you to understand how to un- interpret which is which. You need to know the truth of the matter. You never learn the Bible just reading the surface matter. You've got to do some deep study. Hope you enjoyed this little presentation today, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we're going to go much deeper and I'm going to show you clearly from Scripture that Donald Trump is the Antichrist of the last days. Then I'm going to take you back to the early church and show you that Apostle Paul was the Antichrist of the early church. And then, I, te- you name it, I'll teach you anything you can imagine. Eventually, we're going to be set up where you can call in and ask questions. And uh, I can rightly divide the Bible from any angle. And you, your pastor, any preacher to Bible colleges and all, you need to hear these great teachings. And uh, make it plain so you can understand very, very eagerly about the deep things in the Word. We love you. I love teaching the Word to you. And we're going to have a mighty church that can do battle with both 
mankind as well as the fallen angels as well. May you be blessed. Baruch Abba, Shem Adonai. Shalom.